What's happening, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of The Beautiful Hustle, the podcast that connects the heart to the hustle of the industry. I'm Miss Jessica Saunders. And I'm Philip Procopio. How are you doing today, Jess? I'm great. I'm super excited for today's conversation because I feel like this is one of my chicks. Like we're talking to our first corporate business employee from Aveda who works behind the scenes with me. Um, So yeah, I feel like this is a great opportunity for us to look at this business from a different lens. Yes. I can't believe this is our first like corporate employee from the beauty industry really, but um, and from Aveda, especially yeah. besides the directors that we've done. But I love this woman so much. I've recently been able to work with her more in depth through a color team that I'm on for Aveda. And she just radiates warmth and all the good fuzzy feelings. Um, but also she is very direct. And she mentions this in our interview, which I was like, that's totally true. She's very direct, but it is delivered with warmth and just kindness, which I think is like the perfect combo for a leader. Couldn't agree more. She has the ability to like cut to the core of what needs to be done, but you don't feel broken down. You certainly feel built up around her, which is a real skill set. And she is the jack of all trades. Normally we list off, you know, a couple oh things about someone at the awards and all that, but there's so many this for her. This resume is stacked. It, she, it's, she want to know anything about anything. Yes. <laughs> this is the woman to go to. She's currently the North American Education Director. Welcome to the podcast, Wendy Pryor. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be joining you all. Thank you so much. Get get going. I am so excited. Wendy and I, for those of you that don't know, um, Wendy is the North American Education Director for Aveda. And uh, I guess my boss, my leader uh, (laughs) on the color squad that I'm a part of for a color team for Aveda. So I'm so excited because you, we don't have, I think you might be our first corporate employee on our podcast. Outside of artistic Ooh. directors, you're yeah. the first like behind the scenes boss babe. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I wanted to have you on. We wanted that perspective coming from the corporate side, um, but someone who started out, uh, you know, not in some big fancy title, but started with the rest of us. Because you're a hairdresser, right? Like you're uh, you were a licensed hairdresser. Yes, I um began early at the age of twelve, cutting all the people's hairs. <laughs> Um, coloring my mom's hair in the kitchen, helping her out with her double process. And um, it's, it's where I landed straight out of high school Nice. and um, operated in that space and built a clientele and did all the things, went through an apprenticeship program and a, um, like an 18 month assisting program. So yeah, I did it. I loved it. So how long were you behind the chair for? Um, I think about five years. And then, then you jumped into the corporate life. What, what happened, not what happened there, but why, what made you decide? Why would you do that? That's crazy. (laughs) I know. Um, I was looking to relocate. I had met a guy and we were going to move. And I said, you know, I don't, I know I'm going to be moving back and building behind the chair at that time in the early nineties was a different world. Mm. Um, commission was all there was. And, you know, I think all there still is, but there weren't the rules and regulations that, um, 
you know, it was, it was all in commission. You didn't get a haircut that day. You didn't make any money. Mm -hmm. Um, there was no hourly rate coverage for me. And so I thought, wow, I'm going to move and then move back. I didn't want to have to build and rebuild. Um, so I just made a very, um, I guess wise decision in managing my income to just do something within the beauty industry, but that had a more um, regular income. And that was go behind the counter at um, a cosmetic counter. And so I ended up uh, getting a position at Macy's Union Square in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They um, seemed to have the most opportunity for me to grow because I like, I just, I just love projects and tasks and things. And mm-hmm. so they um, were an eight story building and they had a $3 million clinic counter. And uh, that's where I went to work for about four years. Wow. How was that? I've, I started my beauty career also behind the counter for Mac. Oh. I worked for Mac for a little bit. And so, um, and then decided to get into hair and then kind of used my business background as well for leadership development. So how was working at a counter? Well, I loved it. Um, I actually took a 17 hour job. They gave me like, we only have this one position and it's 17 hours. Mm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, but this place is so huge. And I just looked around with big stars in my eyes, like, <laughs> what could I do here, you know? And um, so within the time frame, I ultimately ended up becoming the counter manager. And it was a $3.5 million counter, I think, at that time wow. and selling, you know, $10 lipsticks. <laughs> and I just got all into it. I was coordinating, you know, the makeup events on the weekends. You know what I'm talking about, Philip, oh, yeah. with, oh, yeah. you know, just trying to make it really fun and, and interesting and, and sort of, you know, guest forward of yeah. working with a guest and achieving their results. And so I was fully into it. And I think that's probably what set me on the path to just do more. You know, because once you do something like that, you're like, okay, what next? What else could I do? This is super cool. Yeah. So we re- we relocated back to Los Angeles, mm. and um, there wasn't really quite a counter of the same size, and so I ended up taking a regional position, and so I covered the whole LA basin, and and I organized, and this will probably be very familiar to you as well, um, the freelance educators oh, yeah. or artists mm-hmm. for Clinique across all of the Los Angeles. Region. Wendy, so all the Clinique, freelancers were Was Clinique my owned people. by Estee Lauder at this time? What's that? Was Clinique owned by Estee Lauder at this time? Yeah, Clinique is one of the OGs at Estee okay. Lauder. Um, one of their original, they had Estee Lauder and Clinique and a few other in the very early days. And um, so when I transferred to Los Angeles, I took this regional makeup artist position and I basically scheduled them and organized them all across Los Angeles. But again, very entrepreneurial and, you know, working with the artists to learn the information, to be the best artist, to, you know, help guests. And then uh, I, I really thought at, some, at a certain point, I really missed my hair, hairdressing roots. And so I thought, when can I get back to that? So I started peaking peeping into what possibilities existed with kind of reuniting with my hair artistry. And that's when Estee Lauder purchased Aveda. Hmm. And then there you go. I was like all over that. 
<laughs> I love it. What was your first uh, position with um, Aveda and kind of what did that transition look like for you being introduced to this brand that I know all three of us have fallen in love with over the years? Yeah, well, I, uh, had, I was familiar with Aveda as a hairdresser. And so I kind of walked out of Bloomingdale's one day in my clinic lab coat and I saw the Aveda freestanding store and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. It was like, you know, the, the clouds broke open and the sun shined down on the Aveda logo. And I was like, I'm going to go work for Aveda. And I took any job that I could. Um, I just applied for whatever was available and I was hired as a um, salon development partner or a territory manager at that time. Oh, it's the best role, I'm telling you. <laughs> I know. Well, and I learned so much. I mean, obviously, you can hear that my, you know, business skill and my um what I learned at behind the counter kind of crossed over my hair, you know, combining that with my hairdressing experience and so it felt like a perfect introduction to, you know, learning all the ins and outs of the salon world from sort of the other side. Yeah, I love it. So earlier you kind of said, you know, when you were working at the clinic counter, you you just made fun of it, not made fun of it, made fun out of it. <laughs> out of it yeah. <laughs> and I think that's such a great mindset to have because having worked at a makeup counter that's high volume, it's intense. And yeah. the sales, the pressure from really the the upper management to produce so much and do so much I mean it is it's funny because like when you go to an Aveda class and they're like okay our goal is 1650 RPCT and I'm like <laughs> that is nothing compared to the pressure you yeah. have at it was a like $150 counter. or $225 yes. an hour that we had to make yeah yeah I remember my first day at Mac I'm like just still trying to figure out where the foundations are even stored. And my boss came up to me like three hours in and was like, so your IPT is just a little low. So can we like make sure we're doing a little more? I'm like, girl, I don't even know where the foundations are right now. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's a great mindset to go in with, to have fun with it and really make it your own. Is that kind I mean, and you, every time we interact on calls or anything, I just get this like such warm, fuzzy feeling from you. It's the energy you put out. So is that always kind of been your mindset and how you approach life? Uh, yeah. And you know, what's interesting as you mention it, um, I, I don't really focus on the goal as much as like the act, actions to achieve it. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, there's a huge number, but we will get there if we do these things, which are fun and, you know, are yeah. all about the, the what. Yeah. Yeah. And it always has worked out, meaning I have continued to be successful. Like I took that three and a half million dollar counter to a four million dollar counter and we had happy, you know, uh, consultants who love their work and we mm -hmm. were having a good time. And I still keep in touch with a lot of them even to this day because it wasn't like so much like, uh, you know, spreading rainbows and sparkles because there's a lot of like practical reality to stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's about how you frame up the let's not focus on the goal. Let's focus on how we're going to get there and all the behaviors and the things that we can do to make it feel like not work. 
I, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, I, I have been an SDP for 12 years now. And sometimes people ask, like, what's next? What else are you going to do? And I'm for me, this job is just so satisfying because every day is so different just because of that. Yes, I use the goal to set the strategy, but the reality of the day-to-day business is we are in and out of the thick of it with salon owners, with stylists, with estheticians and makeup artists. And it's a really fun industry, Um, especially like you said, once you just get in it and start doing, there's a lot of satisfaction in just that hard work at the end of the day. Yeah, I was I was looking at a quote um, or some something somebody had posted. Um, I think it was just yesterday, and it was kind of talking about growth and how we grow. And a lot of people perceive like growth to be just be upward mobility. And like you're saying, I was so immersed in literally every job I, I've done that I it never occurred to me that I needed to go somewhere else, you know, or or get another level title, whatever. Mm-hmm. And every position that I've ever held has become out of opportunity where somebody said, you should do that. And I've said, I really love what I'm doing right now. Like, why do I need to do that? And they're like, because you could take that where it needs to go. Yeah. You you know, and so I think if you really love what you do and you and you look to to I guess even love it if you don't, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and make something good out of it. Find, find that thing that you can connect with the people, the, the, the project, the idea, the concept, like whatever you can sink your teeth into. Um, I think is just, it's just a successful way to operate because it gives you that, that satisfaction of like, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I love. And then also equally it, it builds and brings other people along with you. Yeah, I love that. So you've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. Um, talk to us a little bit about when the leadership in you started to show up, when you uh, started pursuing some leadership opportunities, because, um, you know, where you've gone from an SDP to where you are today, a lot of that is incorporating leadership skills. And I would just love to hear a little bit about your journey through that process. Well, I think um, I never really set out to do any of it, um, honestly. And it's because I, I think in retrospect, thinking it through, I've always had a very curious spirit. Um, and in some cases, because I'm such a direct communicator, my questions have in the past been sort of polarizing, you know, where people are like, why is she asking that? Thinking that there should be an answer when actually I'm looking to build mm. the answer. Ooh, and, love that. and so uh, in my early days, you know, I was like the person raising my hand in the back of the room as a consultant, as an SDP, you know, Sue Tronson um, has some really funny stories about me in the, you know, original <laughs> days of me as an SDP, like, but what about, and could we, and if we did, and how about, and with that sort of curious nature by, by um, making it open for others to also have questions allowed us to sort of inspect better ways of doing things, you know, and, oh, well, that's how we thought we would do it, but here's, you know, possibly another way it could be done. And I think by nature of doing that continuously, it is just allowed doors to open. And by that, I mean, I raise my hand and I say, 
and this is a little conversation I had was when I was driving around with my director as an SDP. Hey, I really like to educate. I teach my salons by my education. Would there ever be an opportunity in education, you know, for me? Like, not now, but, you know, down the road. And she said, you know, immediately, oh, we have an opportunity in education right now. And actually, we've been talking about, you know, and so these are the things. And whenever I talk to anybody about career development, I just say, let people know what you're interested in. Start talking to anybody and everybody. It doesn't have to be a fearful conversation of like, I want to get out of where I am. It's more like, I'm interested in doing more of this. Like, Philip, you know, you and I have chatted about what about this and what about Mm -hmm. that? And it's like, just asking the questions can open up so many opportunities that maybe weren't yet in existence. I totally agree. I think that is such a hindrance for a lot of people just to even put it out there that you're at some point would be interested in an opportunity because I've gotten, you know, I definitely don't shy away from the spotlight. (laughs) So I've definitely gotten like, oh, well, you just get all this stuff and you get to do all these things. And I'm like, well, 99% of the time I put it out there that I want to do it. You know, I want to do this and I want, I have a lot of goals and aspirations in my career and in life. And at the very worst, the answer is going to be no. And so I think, yeah, just putting it out there is, is a huge step and it is, it can be very fearful. It's can be very intimidating to put out there something that's a huge goal. But like you said, you're never going to know unless you, you say something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm just like in that nature of being curious, it's also the idea of just this insatiable moving on to the next thing or what's the next project or how can I do something different, better, um, you know, and just keeping the ear to the ground because in, in everything, constant evolution is necessary. And so I think it's a little bit just built into me to be curious about what is next. I love it. Okay. So on this subject of constant evolution, let's talk about your latest title. You've got this big, beautiful title. Uh, but what is it that you, uh, focus on on a day-to-day basis for people who maybe don't understand what the position looks like? Walk us through a little bit of what your responsibilities are right now for Aveda. Mm. Well, it's really all about many of the same things you guys focus on in all, all your roles. It's about people and relationships. Um, and that is like fundamentally what is my guiding priority is if you don't have, uh, people connections, relationships, you can't really do anything, Yes, you know? And it's not about, Oh, I need to count on this person and that person to do this thing, but just, kind of tying back to the conversations about curiosity. I sit with people and I ask questions with people and there's got to be a level of trust for people to be able to share, you know, that this was really terrible and we can't do this again or wow, you know, it was great about that. And so, yes, the projects come out of the conversations, but if you don't have this basis of connections with people, a trust Projects don't get done. Work doesn't get accomplished. Yeah. Innovation doesn't happen. Yes. And then ultimately, if you think about, you know, all of that tied into the back end, when we get 
out into the salon or out in front of the, you know, colorist and the guest, there isn't the connection that like deep, rich quality of this has been so thoughtfully produced. The people that contributed to the creation of it, the execution of it are all super involved in what's being produced. And so when we go back to, you know, revisit this massive project or this thing that we just pushed out and got done, there's, there's less satisfaction to it, you know? So to kind of line that up against the day to day, the lists are about um, product (laughs) innovation, you know, like what, what's the new product that we're working on? Who needs to be involved in the creation of that? How does it ultimately, when you get to the place of where it's going to be rolling out into the field, who needs to help us teach that? What are the questions that need to be answered? How does this serve the guest and the um, teams that are using the product? You know, so that's like one avenue, product development and, you know, getting the product out. Um, then there's team teams and education and the, all the team members that help train around the product and usage and the success um, for everybody who you know needs to benefit from the product and why it was designed. And so that team of educators super important. And there's a whole lot of like coordination and communication and relationship building that takes place there to keep everybody feeling you know like. They're part of something and they're informed so they can be successful. So it's like artist uh, and educator uh, roles and functions and product development. And then um, that kind of sort of overlaps in the creation of the tools, you know? So if the artist is like, wow, it'd be really great if you created a swatch book that did this. And then the product is launching, you know, and then the creation of the tools kind of intersect. So I think those are kind of the three areas that I spent uh, the majority of time. I love it. I, I feel like you're teasing yeah. us a little bit um, into what we just launched this morning. Ooh. So the day that we are recording um, was actually our first launch of our next generation of the Aveda permanent vegan treatment hair color. Um, so I know this has been a big project for you. Can you talk to everybody um, just kind of about the project, um, why the evolution of the color, um, kind of what your behind the scenes work look like and kind of what we can expect from it? Yes. Well, that's, that's a big topic. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It goes back quite a few years. Um, I've worked uh, with Aveda hair color specifically. So when I, I switched my role and I started going up the um, education team function, I spent the majority of my years working in hair color. So I was a hair color educator on the West coast. I was a manager for the team. I was a North American um, or a U.S hair color director. And so my passion and my like deep roots in hair color um, go back many years with about six launches, I think, six hair color launches. I came on right after deposit only color treatment was launched and um, prepared for the full spectrum deep launch and then everything after that. Um, So there's a lot of learnings along those ways and a lot of different ways the company operated. 
But what is super important and valuable to the interest of this particular launch, but also um, recent ones, is the deep involvement of external team members. And there's a and that is mostly like just the simplest way to say it, the colorist yeah. that works in the salon. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always involved them to some degree, but to what degree we could um, was uh, just limited for a lot of different reasons. In some cases, you know, you don't need a whole like army of people to develop a blonde finished toner. <laughs> you know, it's a simple product. Yeah. But when you're thinking about the overhaul of the permanent hair color line, and um, that we really, uh, Ian, Michael Black, and myself really, really lobbied and, and leveraged in partnership with the product development team to get a group of people that we could just tap into on a daily basis that worked in a salon behind the chair every day. And that started about, I want to say, four years ago, 2018. So now five, I think. Um, at Congress. And that's where we kicked that off. And then we just continued to um, involve them and bring them forward. And then with COVID shutting down uh, much of our operations as it relates to bringing people into us in Minneapolis, we uh, flipped it around and started exporting the work. And I think, you know, by nature of what 2020 has brought, some things will never go back. And I think this is one of them. And I'm so thrilled because now that we've learned how to export the work, and by that I mean, here's the product, try it, tell us what you like, tell us what you see, and um, bringing that information back into the internal team, it's much more efficient and really gets the product on the path to, to serve, you know, ultimately the, the person it's designed for, which is the colorist and the guest. Well, that's what I appreciate about this launch and, you know, having a little little tiny inside scoop on it and getting to learn about it beforehand was the involvement of the artists in the development, which you don't see a lot with hair color companies Mm -hmm. to really involve and take such feedback from the artists and it really be artist focused. And that's, I mean, what I've always loved about Aveda. Yeah. That's the core of Aveda. Yeah. Yeah. And the best part to me is that, um, the chemists and the team members who are taking the feedback are really open to discovering the best solution, yeah. you know, and in some cases, you know, Ian and I make jokes all the time about how tough some of the conversations were, where we were really like, you know, leaning over the table. This is in 2019 when we could get like face to face and <laughs> really, really get into it. But really, like deep discussions about the what and the why and the desired outcome and why is it important and where where you ultimately end up landing with that kind of questioning and like counterbalance is the best place, you know, but it's like trial by fire. Getting it there, um, I think, is well worth the energy put in to get there. And I think sometimes, um, well, I can't even um, estimate why other uh, companies wouldn't do it, but I do yeah. know that it, it, it takes a lot of vulnerability and interest from the chemists and the product development teams to take the input and then, you know, adjust, adjust the trajectory of the product that's in development. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this launch is huge 
And just for all the people out there that are like me that like the science behind it and the fun facts, this was, correct me if I'm wrong, it took three chem- or six chemists three years to really develop the, this brand new technology for the alkalizers, which sounds like a lot of craziness, but it really is, there's some really amazing key features with this new line that is a huge leap in color technology, which you don't see too often in color across the industry. Right. Well, there hasn't been any new like alkalizer systems put into the world for hair color. It has been, you know, the basics, um, ammonia and uh, NEA are traditionally what has been used Mm -hmm. and everything else that's come out that is an alternative to that has been less efficient or, Mm -hmm. you know, less, uh, you're, you're just not hitting the mark of what's needed for a full, a permanent hair color line where you need lift and deposit. And so that is kind of the outcome of what I was describing where they were really challenged by Barbara and the leadership, you know, VPs and R and D to, look hard and find something new and do something different. And really, you know, uh, good was not good enough. And so they had to keep going back and keep relooking. And um, they eventually, you know, made this discovery, which surprised them um, when they combined, you know, uh, DMAMP, which is the, the little acronym for the product name, which I can't pronounce. <laughs> um, that, that's the outcome of that pressure. You know, of just looking at it and looking at it and looking at it again um, and making sure that the performance is what it needed to be um, when they tried it on heads. And so here we are. Yeah. When I love that it is, you know, all this amazing new technology and this discovery and still to the to the 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 the, every artist out there you know, it's just going to perform better. There isn't anything brand new in formulations that we don't have to change the way we're doing anything. If you don't want to, it's just giving us better performance and a few more options within the line to, again, just work better. It's not like there's new technologies. We had to relearn how to do color. It still just fits in with upgrade. Yeah. Just an upgrade. And which I also think is kind of, not doing it justice to how far of a leap in technology this is because it is so just okay you can go about normal it's just better but it is a huge feat of technology and innovation yeah and I think probably because you've experienced you know what that feels like you know in knowing that um there's there's that fine line of balancing the fear of change and the the revenue risk you know, because mm-hmm. hair color is critical to a person's mm-hmm. income yeah. and a salon success, right? So you mess with that and you're messing with mortgage payments yeah. and um, people's livelihoods. And so that's one of the things that we really just had at the core of our awareness in the development of it is that, yes, you can innovate, but you also need to protect, right? And so yeah. I think as you shared uh, when colorists start to use the product, they will say, gosh, I didn't need to change my formulas too much, but oh my gosh, I love it so much. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah, You know, so it's like that fine balance of don't be afraid. You're going to love it, but it is amazing, you yeah. know? And so. Well, and even I, you know, when I got my kit f- full of all the new color, 
you know, we were testing it out and, you know, getting ready to post everything. Even I went in and I was like, well, let's see what happens, you know, because behind the chair, it is hard to pivot if it is too big of a change. And when you're, especially these days, every hairstylist out there right now is booked solid all the time. So it's like, oh, great, something else I have to figure out along with a crazy busy time. And so I was very pleasantly surprised when everything just worked. Yeah. Yeah. And we have such a variety of stylists within our Aveda network because we've been such a prominent brand in the color industry for so many people. I have these new talent team members that are joining that this is just fun and exciting. And then there's somebody on the polar opposite end of the spectrum, like my mother, who is 72 years old, still stands (laughs) behind the chair doing hair color. And so when I go through this launch with her, she's like, oh, it's about time. So excited (laughs) for this. You know, where she's somebody who you might expect some resistance to change from. And they are just, everyone's just really excited about the program of the color. It's just really exciting. Well, and that's just an outcome of the research and the questions. And when we looked at what people were asking for, we changed what they asked for. Yeah, We didn't, we didn't throw in, well, you know, there's some additional benefit, like Philip said, where you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's great. But the performance is better than it was. Yeah, That's understood. But we just, you know, there was no request for improvement in tone, meaning my reds aren't working, my coppers aren't great. We didn't hear that. So we didn't focus on that. Yeah. We focused on what colorists asked for. So for your mom saying that, it makes total sense for her and there is no resistance. So that way she and her guests will continue to, you know, get great performance out of the color they've always loved. And then, oh, some few new things that will, you know, make it even better. Yeah, they're just excited. Uh, Wendy, what are you most excited for about um, with this future? With the next color uh, evolution? Just kind of all of it. What is up and coming for you that's exciting? Something that you're uh, you know, looking forward to? Well, I'm very excited. You know, you had mentioned the um, role that I'm in. I've been um, in the technical team for global for most of my time. And what that that role was, was primarily um, creating content to be shared with the worldwide regions. So North America, Europe, Asia, et cetera. And in my um, stepping into North America specifically, I get to go much deeper mm-hmm. in sort of rethinking education and development of educators and artists. And as a, as a hairdresser behind the chair, when I was, you know, going through my assisting program and I had the directors of education at my salons taking me through it, I didn't know a way to grow to become an educator. And I always thought maybe I would have stayed behind the chair if they would have told me or helped me develop my skills and my strength in influencing and educating and sharing knowledge. Mm. But me standing behind the chair, I thought that was all there was. I Mm -hmm. thought I would just have to serve and do hair just with my guests, which was wonderful, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to give more. I wanted to, you know, go in deeper and do more things as it related to hair. And I probably would have stayed behind the chair if a director would have said, Hey, 
you know, would you like to be developed in our little protege train the trainer mm-hmm. program? Mm-hmm. And so in my role now, and this has been my passion since I stepped into education is how do we create pathways for people to be closer to and develop themselves and develop one another and share their, you know, uh, passion for the industry so that we don't lose people from working in the salon or behind the chair or in the, in the, um, uh, spa room, but they stay connected, they share their passion and they bring others along with them. And I think an example of your success is Mr. Philip Procopio here. (laughs) Um, You know, I sent an email a few months ago to you, Wendy, just about what a positive impact the Color Squad has made on my territory, on my network, um, and people's just ability to connect with somebody who is growing and who wants to be part of something bigger. Yeah, and it's 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 not that it hasn't been available, it's just helping people see the vis- the visibility to mm-hmm. to these future paths mm-hmm. wherever they exist and that yeah. they are numerous and they're easy to find and people connecting people um you know and philip i know will pass it on and he'll say he'll bring others along as he already yeah. is doing and people like him will continue to do that and that's just what i continue to encourage is you know find the people who have interests develop them and whatever way, shape or form they want to be developed. They don't have to fit into a box. They don't have to follow a very specific pathway, much like we've done with Philip. You know, it's like, you already have a lot of skill. Let's harness it and put it, you know, in this direction. But if Philip comes back and is like, hey, I was thinking of something else, we'd make space for that too. Yeah. You know, that is such a good perspective because I think that is so indicative of where our industry is heading. We had talked about on an episode one time how the industry and culture and society in general has, is going currently through a massive change with things like labor shortage. And even in the hair industry, we've talked about how, you know, really charging your worth and, and for salon owners to recognize that it is not the same relationship from owner and manager to employee that it used to be. It is people are craving deep connections and relationship and people don't want to go in and just are, you know, don't want to be just satisfied with, okay, I'm going to work nine to six Monday through Friday behind the chair. They want career paths. They want development. They want that connection. And I think that is so vital for our owners and managers in this industry to recognize that if we want to keep this alive and going, that it, it has to be that route of relationship and, and people over profit because when you choose that the profit will just come absolutely kind of like it having goes back fun. to the conversation we had about a goal achievement yeah. you know yeah well wendy it is always a delight to just hear your voice like i said you just bring this like every time we're on a call i'm on a call with you i'm like i just feel so calm when you talk and i love that about you so thank you so much for being on today um, before we go though, we like to do, we have a tradition on the show to do some Google random questions, uh, mm. before you go. So are you game? I am. Sure. I'm we, always in for a game. <laughs> we just randomly <laughs> look these up. So Jess is going to Google the first right. question for us. Google random question generator wants to know what is the most ridiculous random fact, you know, 
Oh my goodness. I'm terrible at these things. Ridiculous random fact. I'll go first because I have a weird random one. Okay. Turtles can breathe out of their buttholes. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if that's true, but that's what Olaf says on Frozen. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) It says it on a cartoon and I'm running with it. You can definitely tell you have a toddler. Yeah. That's my life. (laughs) Do you know one, Philip? You know, it's funny because my family kind of teases me that I just know the most random things, things, but I can never think of one on the spot. It just like comes up in conversation. I'll just be like, oh, did you know this? So I am trying to think of one. I don't know. Yeah, me neither. I'm terrible at things. And I'm also very awful at um, jokes. Like I do not know a single (laughs) joke, but I, I will be the one who laughs the hardest and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that one. This one's my favorite. But I cannot tell a joke. Like, that is the worst <laughs> thing, you know, when we go around the room and people are like, oh, let's, you know, fill in the blank. I've got a joke. I'm, I can't. I can't remember things. I can't remember actors. I can't remember lines <laughs> from movies. I love so this. It. This situation, I might be very dire for you, Jessica. I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. I uh, typically am not good at it, but I happened to watch Frozen last night with my son. So <laughs> that one was top of mind. I'm shocked you don't have one, Philip, from your I hours know. of stupid YouTube. Videos. I love documentaries. I love like all that. And I huh. cannot right. think. Of- but what's funny is I'm really bad at jokes as well. But everyone's like, you're a really funny person. Like, I can tell a great, I'm a good storyteller. You're a good storyteller. Like, I can get a crowd going with a story, but like memorizing jokes and deliver, I'm like, no, not even. I know. I always, I always lose the punchline. Like, I I really (laughs) have it in my mind's eye. It was on the tip of my tongue, and I'm like, oh, it's such a good joke, but I'm going to ruin it. Same. Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's see what else Google's got for us. Okay. Oh, oh, this is a good one. Do you have an internal dial or an internal monologue? What does that mean? So I think what it's referring to. So there's. It's been kind of a hot topic on the internet of people who have internal dialogue or monologue. So yeah. as they're thinking, they're thinking like speaking in their head, and some people apparently can't do that like they don't hear their own voice or hear a voice as they talk okay I do I very much like I'm I know you do your face tells it yeah it's not coming out of your mouth but your face yep 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 100% I 100% do she is like a mouthy little snarky you know what (laughs) like my I definitely have to filter things through before Mm. they come out of my mouth because all day long I have a little back and forth going on in between my ears okay what about you Wendy Yes, I do. And um, as I'm much like you, Jessica, I have to tame tame (laughs) what's coming to mind. And I'm not sure about how much it reflects on my face because I'm I'm pretty much (laughs) kind of hard to read. A lot of people have um, really not known when I do speak if I'm actually serious or not because my humor (laughs) is so dry. Um. But yes, that that little thought person in my head, there is definitely a monologue going and it is kind of a a zinger. And I think it's one of those things, at least in my life experiences, as we age, the filter kind of unfortunately starts to break down. (laughs) My mother is famous for her little one liners that definitely should stay inside. But as she ages, they come out. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because I have had conversations with um, fellow colleagues um, where they have called me out on things and I've done the same for them. 
And as we get older, and as we may be more influential in people's lives, I've started to implement the um, statement, uh, remember the weight of your words. Mm-hmm. And like, as, as much as we're supposed to, you know, be ending on this Google thing, the weight of your words has been a thing that's been in front of mind because you may not realize that the group you're talking to mm-hmm. is like lingering on every mm-hmm. word. Yeah. And if you say it in such a way that, you know, maybe demoralizes them slightly and you're like, oh, that's not how I meant it. I'm like, you need to consider your role in their lives. And actually, you could have just crushed a person. Yeah. So I try to be mindful with my little zinger monologue in my head of what are the weight, what's the weight of my words and who is listening? I love that. Because I've seen the look on my, you know, adult kids faces (laughs) when I think, oh, they're adults. I can say this to them. And then I'm like, but they're my kids. So the weight of my words is different for them than just talking to a 22 year old, you know? Yep, That's true. All right. Last one. Uh, If your 16 year old self met you today, what would they think of you? Ooh. Oh, um, I think I'd be very impressed with myself. And by that, I mean, as I shared at the beginning, I started out as a 12 year old hairdresser, mm-hmm. you know, and I had no plans for myself, really. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm very true to who I was then. Um, you know, I haven't diverted from like my true self. And I'm more of that than ever. So I think overall, uh, well done, little 16-year-old would say. I love that. I love it. What about you, Jess? Yeah, kind of similar. I think my 16-year-old self would be super impressed. Um, I just kind of came up in struggle, and so I didn't know a life of this much happiness and success would ever be an Mm. option to me. Um, and I don't exclusively mean financial, but it's included in there. But, um, I never knew a family like my husband, my child, my, a family unit could be so funny and fun and truly expressive of the individual. Mm. Um, I just never saw some of that growing up. And so, um, I would be super duper impressed that, um, I was able to cultivate this life for myself that I feel is um, really mostly full of joy. I think there's a lot of joy Amazing. that I would have been maybe surprised by. I, I thought that. there would be a lot more struggle than there is, Aww. which I'm not inviting it in universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm very surprised at how lovely life is. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. What about you, Philip? Um, well, probably my 16 year old first thought would be like, whoa, we've gone big. <laughs> um other than that i it's funny i had very very different plans and goals for my life at 16 and i think i would be very shocked that i did not go through with those but also Mm. um i guess yeah impressed and and happy that i've overcome some big stumbling blocks in my early adulthood and have gotten to the point where I'm truly happy. And so, yeah. yeah. Amazing. I mean, happiness is beautiful. So Isn't I'm it? glad we can all snuggle into that one. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I love it. Well, thank you, Wendy, so much for your time. We appreciate you so much. Um, it's yes. been a pleasure hearing from you, getting to know you a little bit more. Um, tell our listeners a little bit if they want to learn more about you or follow you where they can find you. 
Well, currently, um, I'm mostly present on Instagram these days, available via direct message and all the other ways, um, W Prior, P-R-I-O-R, at Aveda, or not at Aveda, W Prior. <laughs> and then my email would be the same, at Aveda.com, which is the most direct way to talk, you know, about serious things that mm. are business related that, you know, want, want a career path attached to, or some discussions about any items that need to be addressed. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you. All right, everyone. That's all we have for you today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Wendy as much as we did. Uh, go ahead and give her a follow on Instagram, W Pryor, uh, over there on Instagram. And while you're over there, give us a follow. Mine is at Philip Procopio. And I am Jessica 406 Saunders. That's where we're posting little teasers of all our episodes so you can see what's up and coming. And while you're out there listening to your episodes, we'd love to hear your feedback. So leave us a rating and review. It's the best way for us to see what you're loving and what you want more of. And until next time, everyone, stay beautiful and keep hustling.